We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. Hello there. Welcome to the Finding Peace Podcast. Today, I have the delight of interviewing a wonderful, remarkable woman who is full of light. And I hope that you can hear the light that she is emanating through the sound of her voice, even though you won't have the opportunity to see her. You can go check her out on her website, peacefulliving.com, and see what she looks like and see the light that she shares. But I'm really hoping that you'll be able to feel her light. Roberta Hughes is the founder and lead instructor at Peaceful Living, a boutique hybrid studio that conveys a delicate and personalized peaceful living instruction through different things like customized Pilates, meditation, and yoga classes. At Peaceful Living, she teaches clients a way to filter out all of life's pressures. Doesn't that sound amazing? And she does it through a delicate and highly personalized approach of teaching individuals using a combination of live streams, on-demand classes, and actually talking to you in person. She is nurturing and she customizes the approach to guide her clients who are wanting to change their relationship with stress. Please join me in welcoming Roberta Hughes. Roberta, I am really grateful to have you with me today. Absolutely, Troy. Listening to your podcast and the messages that you bring, I feel like these are conversations that need to be had, and I'm excited to be here with you. Well, thank you. Tell us a little bit about your journey. What was your journey that led you to be so passionate about self-care? I think early on, it just happened out of habit because I was raised by two parents who always seemed to find ways to take care of themselves, but they didn't call it self-care back then. They just seemed to manage to take time off, to take time for family. My mom was very much into rituals, ironing all of our clothes, making sure after the bath, like she rubbed lotion on our arms and our legs. So I think from being nurtured and nourished as a child and having it role modeled for me, once I grew up and went out on my own, there was a missing of that. Hmm. Being away from home, being away from that nourishment, that nourishing energy. And I think I just started doing things that helped fulfill that feeling for me, not out of um, a decision. Like I didn't say, I'm going to start doing self-care. I just started to do things to help me feel better in times when life was stressful and transitions were hard and I felt challenged or was struggling in any way. That's that's beautiful. And you've learned how to do that in such a way that now you teach other people how to do that. Is that 
my understanding. It is. Yeah. You know, because it was a part of my life and it was something that evolved and it grew. It was just within these last few years, especially with COVID, making us all um, rethink how we were living our lives, realizing that so many people had forgotten to take care of themselves. And then once they were at home, it was almost like they didn't know what to do. During quarantine, I was thrilled because I had endless amounts of time for my self-care practices. So being bored wasn't something that struck me or feeling isolated wasn't something that struck me. I actually celebrated the quiet and the silence, which a lot of people I know struggled having all of the things that normally keep them busy taken away during that time. And so you, because you had been practicing this before, that didn't have as profound of an impact on you as it has for a lot of people. I would, I would agree with that. You know, like I said, I now had more time. My walks could be longer. I am privileged enough to live in a neighborhood that is more rural or suburban. So getting out and walking the trails, it was interesting how many more people were now on those trails where it used to be. I might pass one or two people and it was almost like the freeway traffic now became the trail traffic. And that was refreshing to see more people out enjoying fresh air, enjoying nature. It's amazing to be able to see that and look at how people adapted. They got out of their... I mean, COVID did a lot of things that I think were hard for people, but it also forced us to see things differently and try things differently and do things differently. And you were watching firsthand how that was going on where you live. I could see it happening and it was really delightful. And to feel the world slowing down to me felt needed. It was Sad that it had to happen in the way that it did, but to have everyone experience the opportunity to slow down, take a breath, just be, you know, with their families, under their roofs, creating relationships. A lot of people within my circle used it as that opportunity to come closer together, to start doing puzzles with their family members, to start interacting more, having conversations And I'm hoping that those practices get carried into the normalcy of life as we move forward with that again. I hope so too, because those those are the things that matter the most at the end of the day. I was just going to add, I know for some people, it's been a very stark transition back into the real world, especially people who work for companies and businesses. It's almost like They went from zero to 500 after COVID, having to just jump right back in and uh, renew their energy and their spirit and their drive and almost be on overdrive. Right. And trying to catch up, which I don't know if we actually need to catch up, but there's that push again, going back into the hamster wheel, I guess. You talk a lot about peace in the different things that you do, which is one of the things that I love to talk about. And one of the things that I was reading as I was going through is that peace doesn't just like come naturally. It just doesn't settle on you. Can you say more about that? Yeah. um, I think peace is a practice. 
It's something that you feel and experience through self-awareness practices, mindfulness practices. Peace is intimately connected to the breath. When you're with your breath in any given moment, there's that feeling of presence and peace. Um, Peace can be elusive, and if you try to grasp for it, it's going to keep moving further and further away. It's that place within yourself that you find when you become grounded and present and mindful. And that could be for a blink of an eye for part of your breath. You know, there are four parts to the breath, the inhale, the exhale, and the pauses in between. That pause after the exhale is the most pregnant moment of peace possible. So when you find yourself in that place, it's, it's palpable. You can feel it. That is the most beautiful description of peace that I've heard. I've asked oh, a lot you. of people on the podcast what that means, and that was beautiful. And it is those moments. It is moments. I think so. I I like to think that we can plant these little seeds of peace throughout our day, and you never quite know where it's going to bloom or where it's going to sprout, but you do things to support it, to nourish it, to water it, and then it's there. And if you're present, you'll feel it and you'll be with it in that moment. And that's where true joy comes from is being in that moment of peace when it's available and when you're present to it. What are some of the things that you do to plant that throughout your day? My self-care practices. So I am a creature of rituals. I have rituals that I do from the time my feet hit the floor in the morning till the time I pull the covers up over my body at night. And the rituals aren't rigid. So Oftentimes people ask me, what are your rituals? And I have many things that I do, but it's not always going to look exactly the same every single day. But once I wake up, I like to take my time getting ready. So that might be when I listen to a podcast. And while I'm listening to the podcast, I'm doing my skincare routine, which includes facial massage and gua sha using stones and I just really take my time. I have these little balls that I'll sometimes roll my feet while I'm brushing my teeth. Um, And then once I'm ready, I will have breakfast. I have to be really mindful about meals. I'm the person that will forget to eat until it's way too late. Mm -hmm. So I actually, some of my goals have... I will have breakfast by 9 a.m. every day, or (laughs) I will have lunch (laughs) by 2 p.m. every day. Um, And depending on how busy life gets, I'm sometimes really mindful about it and sometimes not so much. Um, In the winter, I always try to have a cup of tea in the afternoon. In the summer, I usually eat my meals outside with my dogs, sitting in the grass, away from electronics. At nighttime, I have a whole bedtime ritual where, again, I do a lot of self-care things um, for my body, for my skin. I dim the lights. I use essential oils in a diffuser. So I just kind of let my body know it's time to quiet down and settle in for the night. That sounds delightful. That sounds really, (laughs) really nice. You know, it does. But then as I say some of this sometimes to people that I'm working with, they feel so overwhelmed. But again, 
I have to remind people this has been years of evolution for me. It's not that a year ago I said, okay, I'm going to practice self-care and I started doing all of these things. They've evolved probably for my entire life and things that are new to me, I practice them and sometimes they'll stick, sometimes they won't. So that's how you build your self-care practices. You try them on, you see what fits. You don't try to mimic what someone else is doing. You really are looking for the things that nourish you, nurture you, and instill that feeling of peace and calm and quiet. Mm. That's beautifully said. Some people think that self-care is selfish. Mm. And some people don't believe that they are worthy of taking care of themselves. They feel like they need to show up for everybody else, but they don't really feel like they're worthy of doing that themselves. So what would you say to the people who think it's selfish? And what would you say to the people who maybe struggle with even believing that they're worth taking care of in the first place? I would say that I have sat in both of those places myself. So I was a young mother. I had my first child at the age of 25 And at that time in my life, I was just in the throes of parenthood. I now call that the boot camp of becoming a parent. You're sleep deprived, you're tired. Um, Anytime I wanted to take time for myself during those years, it felt like a selfish thing to do. I always felt guilty leaving my baby and taking the time for myself. Um, It took me a while to understand that that time helped to nourish me so that I could be more available to my baby, to myself when I was parenting. Um, I think being a parent, though, we always feel that guilt when we're taking time for ourselves versus our children. And I imagine people who have jobs that are very demanding and work that they love feel that sense of guilt as well. And that's, I think, where the idea of selfishness comes in. Like, if I take this time for myself, it's not um, happening where it really needs to happen. I'm not giving my attention to the things that need my attention. But we don't have an infinite supply of energy, and we do need to nourish and nurture our energy so that we can show up as the best version of ourselves in any role of life that we're doing. So, It's not a selfish thing. It's um, an act of sustainability, if you will. You're sustaining your ability to be who you are and to do what you love to do or want to do in the world. Um, On the other side of that, I I too have been in that place where, um, especially after ending a marriage that was not healthy, not really understanding my value in the world and feeling depressed, feeling anxious, feeling the results of this failed relationship. Um, My self-care practices probably saved me. If I hadn't been in the place where they were so natural, I don't know that I would have gotten through that transition of ending my marriage and learning to be who I am in the world now. 
And I still count on those practices for help because there are still days where my self-esteem plummets and that negative self-thinking takes over. Um, so my self-care practices are like my life preserver now because I know what I can pull out. I have these tools to help those moments of darkness, those moments of not feeling worthy, those moments of feeling like, what is my value? What is my worth? At the end of Stephen R. Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he tells a story about two woodcutters who go out into the woods and they have a contest to see who can cut down the most wood. And one has his saw and he just goes at it, just cuts down the wood and doesn't stop, doesn't take a break, doesn't do anything, and he's just working, working, working really hard. And the other one will cut down about two or three trees and then he'll stop and he'll sharpen his saw. And then he will cut down a couple more trees and then he'll stop and he'll sharpen his saw. And the guy who is not sharpening his saw is thinking, you're taking all that time, like you're wasting your time. You're not, you're not going to be able to to win, I'm going to win. I'm, I'm, I'm not stopping. I'm not taking a break. And the other guy is stopping, breaking, sharpening his saw. At the end of the day, the guy who stopped and sharpened his saw cut down more wood than the one who didn't. And I've had to cut down a tree or two. And like when I get the saw right at the beginning, it's like it just cuts through the wood like butter. But then later on, it's not. It's all gunked up. It's got all kinds of junk in there. That's And so I have to stop and clean it up. And so I can see why it would be such an important thing to sharpen the saw, to take a moment. It makes the work easier. It makes life uh, more enjoyable. You don't have to work so hard. And so as you were talking, that's what self-care is. It's stopping and sharpening the saw taking a moment and getting yourself realigned so that you can go back to doing the things that you want to do or that are important to you. I love that story. And I love that it sparked, you know, your thought that this is what self-care is. And it is important for each of us to have our definition or our reason why self-care is important. So for you to say that just now out loud I think will help so many people because that really is what self-care is, that moment to sharpen your saw, to become clear, to refocus, to reset, and to have more power to go forward. Yes, that's what we're hoping. That's part of why I'm having you here. Somebody came to you and said, I don't even know where to begin. I have no idea how to really even do this self-care thing. I've heard it, I've heard you talk about it, I've heard it in the in the news and on the media and everywhere, but I have no idea. First where I to would start. ask them what, what does say? self-care mean to you? When you hear those words, what comes to mind? And are they in the place of feeling selfish or unworthy? That's the beginning because we have to have conversations about that first. Um, creating the right mindset to know that self-care has a purpose. I always tell people it's the purpose behind your practice that is more important than the practice itself. It's like that person just going, 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 chopping the wood, right? We can do a ton of self-care things, 
But if there are only things that have no purpose and have no value, we're just wasting energy. So you can even waste energy on self-care if it's not doing its job. Um, so first, what is your purpose? What is your idea of self-care? And then what speaks to you? What are the things that help you feel calm, relaxed, nourished? Is there anything you're already doing that inspires those feelings? And if so, how can we create a little more depth in, around that with a ritual? Like, can we add a couple of things around some of the things you're already doing? You know, maybe it's in the bathroom in the morning or at night, or maybe it's just getting away from your computer for a half hour during the middle of your day. Maybe it's a movement practice or a meditation practice. There are so many things that we can add in, but it's unique to the individual. I love that you are willing to explore that mm -hmm. with them, that you don't just have a checkbook or checklist of things. And this is, you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. And then, and then that's self-care. You've personalized yes. it. That seems really important. I think every practice needs to be personalized. You know, I, through my life have read tons of different self-help books and looked at tons of different checklists and, I have one of those personalities that when I set my mind to something, I get super excited. I'm hot out of the gates. And then if it doesn't work, I tend to feel like I'm a failure and that's why it doesn't work. I, I don't let myself be in that place anymore because of these self-care practices and how I've been approaching them. Not many people want another list of things to do or another quick fix because we know that they don't work. They, they don't stick. It's a great idea to look at what someone has created, but maybe not all of those pieces are going to be the best fit for you. Maybe it's only one thing. Maybe it's a couple, and maybe it's different things from different people. Um, it's great to be inspired and to see what's possible, but to be given a rigid checklist of do all of these things and your self-care practice will be complete and you'll feel amazing, that's not authentic. No, Correct. and it's not sustainable, like you said. As you've been working with clients and teaching them how to do self-care, what have you experienced? What have you noticed has happened as people have started to practice they more self-care in their lives? They tend to be better communicators, less reactive. Their relationships tend to improve and they start sleeping better. And they become more aware of when they wander away from their practices. So life happens to all of us. We can't always sustain every single thing that we would like to do for ourselves. But to see it happening and going in a direction that may not be healthy, people are now able to recognize and then take a step back and reset without feeling guilt and shame and feeling like a failure, all of those things. You just listed off things that I need more of, better sleep, <laughs> more serenity, uh, feeling better in my body. And all of that comes from the simple yeah. practice of self-care. figuring out the pieces that are going to inspire those things for you? What will inspire a better night's sleep? Um, what's preventing it right now? 
Um, what will inspire more self-awareness and healthy movement in your body? What are you doing currently and what could we add or shift or change? Um, it's, it's a game of curiosity, really. Mm, I love that word. Mm-hmm. It's to be curious, to be open to exploring what the answers are for you instead of having this expectation that this is this has got to be the answer, but rather being willing to surrender and consider yeah. what really fits and, for me. And also being curious about where resistance shows up. Resistance comes when we need to learn something or have more awareness about something. So anytime I have a high level of resistance, once I get to the other side of being reactive, it's like, okay, let's, let's take a look here. You know, what was that all about? Um, similar to a toddler having a temper tantrum. In the middle of it, you aren't going to try to have a conversation with them. <laughs> but at the end of it, you can ask some questions. You know, what was upsetting? What happened? I, I do that for myself. I parent myself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's beautiful. Some of us do not want to parent ourselves, but, you know, especially if our uh, parents aren't available all the time, somebody's got to do it. It might as well be us. Exactly. Yeah. You have you everywhere you go. Yeah. And hopefully part of what I try to help people learn how to do is love themselves Mm -hmm. enough that they are grateful that they're with themselves everywhere they go. Yeah. And self-care is a really wonderful part of reminding ourselves that we are worthy of love and belonging. I'm worthy enough. I know we struggle sometimes to believe that I'm worthy enough to do it. But the converse is also true that when we do it, it reinforces the belief that we are worthy of being cared for. Yes. And for me, self-care and self-love are partners. Um, self-care practices inspire and nourish our sense of being able to love ourselves as we are because through self-care we're slowing down we're connecting to ourselves to our true sense of self not to all of the things that feed our identity but to the things that nourish our spirit and our soul Hmm. that's beautifully said They are interwoven with each other. Mm -hmm. What what is your biggest barrier when you're working with clients in their struggle with implementing self-care strategies in their life? Time. Everyone is (laughs) too busy, too busy for self-care. When I have time, I'll start doing that. When there's more time, when work slows down, Maybe when I can take a vacation, I'll try some of this. Um, Yeah, and I wonder if that resistance shows up because of not feeling worthy, not feeling valued. Like if you knew you were worth it, wouldn't you start right now? Mm. Yeah. I know for me, meditation is a really important self-care strategy and my life is really busy and I will keep saying, well, I'll get that. I'll get that. I'll get that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. And I realized that is never going to happen 
unless I put it on my schedule. Because mm-hmm. as a therapist, I live by a schedule. And, and so I see people like at, on time and all those kind of things. I realize if I'm, I, I put those scheduling appointments because that's their hour that they're going to get what they need from me. That's important. And I try to show up the best I can for that. Why am I not doing that for me? Why am I not putting that on the calendar for me? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't happen and I'm exhausted and I don't want to do it because I'm tired and I just want to go to bed. And then I feel shame because I didn't do it. And then I'm like, because I didn't schedule it. I didn't make that a priority for myself. I found all kinds of other things that were not actually that important at the end of the day when I didn't schedule that. And so I've learned that that's really a simple self-care strategy is put it on the on the calendar and do it do it look at the calendar and just do it that even that is a self-care strategy it definitely is and i'm so glad you brought that up because i find that people fall into one of two categories number 1 is kind of like you is they they don't take the time to carve out the time um one thing that you can do because it's hard to go from not carving out time to carving out time unless you know the value of your practice. So for you with meditation, you know that value. So if you schedule in 15 minutes, you're probably going to hold yourself accountable. If someone is completely new to the concept of self-care, my first step is just let's look at your week and can you carve out some white space in your calendar? Because most of us don't have white space in our calendar. We have Mm. booking after booking, especially if you're an entrepreneur or a therapist or self-employed or working for a company, you're booked back to back to back to back. So step one, let's put some breathing room like, and just keep that open. You can do whatever you want during that time. And the other um, type of person that I tend to see is the person who schedules and then cancels on themselves. And I think that's even worse. Like I have a lot of clients that schedule it and they say, this is what I'm doing. And then at the end of the week, they didn't show up for themselves. And that's, I think, a, a conversation of unworthiness. Like why would you cancel on you and not all of these other things? And that's a place to explore. As you're talking about it, uh, we talk a lot about attachment wounds in the work I do. And one of the attachment wounds is abandonment. And so I'm thinking if I scheduled to go out with friends or something and that's on the calendar and then I did not show up, they would be so hurt that I, and I didn't bother to let them know. I didn't communicate, hey, something came up. I just abandoned them basically. They would be really hurt. And then we do that to ourselves. We yeah. put it on the calendar and then we're like, nah, uh, no, mm, something else. And we, and we just kind of brush it off thinking it's not that Im- important, but it is because we've just abandoned ourselves and what we thought was important. That is such a powerful way to look at it. Like self-abandonment. Why are you saying yes to that? Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes it'll be, oh, well, this client needed to book and... But if you had a different client booked at that time, you wouldn't say, yes, I can. You would right. find another time. So Yeah, my, I'm sorry, I can't double book. There's already somebody in that space. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to say, 
I'm selfishly <laughs> taking this time for my self-care. And that's probably the thought going through the person's head, like unwilling and unable to speak up and advocate for themselves and their own needs. Right. It's a, it's another way of sharpening the saw. I, I think what would happen to me is like, oh yeah, I'll put that person in because they probably need it really bad and I can, I'll sacrifice myself right now and I'll get around to it later and then realizing, no, I didn't actually get around to it later. And yeah, that person was benefited, but I wasn't in my, I wasn't showing up in my best space. I was not, because I hadn't done my self-care. So I was trying to saw that log and I hadn't sharpened the saw for a few days. So I probably wasn't as good as I could have been for me and for that person. Yeah. How do we hold the space for others when we can't hold the space for ourselves? Right. That is a question to be curious about. It is. Well, I love this topic. It's it's one of my favorite topics of self-care. And I'm so I'm really grateful that you've been with me today. I have some questions. We do this at the end to just get a little bit better acquainted with you. So would it be all right if I asked them? Yes. And I knew these were coming. I'm a little excited and a little nervous, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's one thing about you that surprises people? Gosh, maybe my nationality or my heritage. My father is African-American and my mother is Serbian. So growing up in Southeast Arizona, most people thought I was Hispanic. And Mm. I think they're surprised to find out what my um, lineage really is. I was. I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, I can see you on the on the camera, and you that would that was not what I would have picked. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's Thank awesome. You. How often do you get to celebrate that heritage? To celebrate it, um, gosh, not often enough. Um, I was able to go to Yugoslavia a couple of times with my mom um, up until the age of twenty three. And she probably does the best job in keeping the Serbian spirit alive through our um, religious holidays and her baking and her recipes. So I think I celebrate that portion of myself through cooking now for my family and my children. My African-American roots, um, my dad didn't talk a lot about what it was like for him growing up. So I always felt a little separate from that part of me. I have a lot of curiosity now and I am trying to learn more, but he still is very reticent to share. Hmm. I'm curious what one of the favorite foods or meals that your mom makes would be. So my favorite actually is bean soup and it's, such an easy meal. It's such a simple meal. But when I would go with her to Yugoslavia, that's what we would, we would eat, bean soup and fresh baked bread. So bean soup, fresh baked bread, and um, a tomato sliced up is like comfort food to me. Oh, that's so awesome. That is so beautiful. Those were not questions on the list, but I just wanted to ask. So yeah. I I love I love culture and I love food. Yeah. So that's 
Well, she also makes gibanitsa, which is similar to spanakopita, if you're familiar with that, as a Greek food. So gibanitsa is phyllo dough and feta cheese, and then she adds some spinach and egg, and she bakes it, and it's this fluffy, beautiful pie of goodness. Um, oh, and then she also good. makes baklava, which is a delicious mm, treat. So. I love baklava. That's so awesome. We have all faced a major decision in our lives that has resulted in us choosing to take a left turn instead of going right. When were you faced with such a dilemma and how did it work out? Can you clarify? So in taking a left turn, does that mean maybe making a bad decision? Mm, uh, not bad or good. Um, what it means is like, most people would have said you should have taken this path and you mm. chose the path less trodden. Mm -hmm. And how did that work out? Probably going through my divorce would be that situation for me. It would have been much easier to stay in that relationship because it was familiar. It was what I knew. Um, it made sense from many aspects. However, I was so unhappy and only feeling like a fraction of myself. So making that choice was a pivotal moment for me in my life. That would have had to have been a really hard mm -hmm. decision to make. Because yeah. it sounds like you had little ones that were also involved. And so making decisions like that, that don't just affect you, but affect others. And yet, if you're only operating at a fraction of yourself, you have to do something different. Yes. Yeah. And my boys, um, I have two boys and one was in high school, the other was in middle school. So those ages are not the best ages to make a big life decision. Um, but it was time. It was time to choose. Mm -hmm. And I honor that, that, they say that going through the divorce is out of the most difficult things that somebody has to go through. It's next to losing a spouse through death. Yes, there's definitely a lot of trauma and grief through that divorce process and ending a relationship and starting a new life. Mm. It sounds like you've been able to create a new life that has brought more peace for you. I have. And it's a daily practice even now. Right. It just, it just, we're not done every day that <laughs> I keep working at it. I try to say I'm not finished yet. I try to be optimistic about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Who knows what might be next? Yeah. And it sounds like because you've been practicing self-care for so long, that has enabled you to be able to handle it when the road shifts unexpectedly and you're able to stay on the track. Absolutely. And one thing that we can be certain about is uncertainty. We never know what life will bring. What we can be certain about is our tools and our resources and our ability to help ourselves in times of need. But we have to learn and practice those things. Yep. And they do not teach that in elementary school. They do not. It's like... We're in high school or middle school or college. <laughs> I don't know it's, why. It's, it's secret of life 101, right? 
<laughs> we need to make that course, Troy, you and I. I know we should. I can't tell you how many people are like, why don't we teach this to kids? I'm like, I don't know. But it is, you're right, it's very important. What book are you reading right now? I actually just started a new book today, and it's called You're a Leader, Now What? And it's written by Mick Spears, who is someone that I had the opportunity to meet through a podcast. And his ability to bring empathy and compassion and authenticity to leadership is inspiring and exciting to me. So I've just read chapter one this morning, and I'm excited to keep going through the book. I'm going to have to check that out because I'm always looking for books like that. So yeah. thank you for sharing that with me. Now, my other favorite book, Troy, since you love books, I don't know if you've ever read Pema Chodron's book called Practicing Peace in Times of War. I think you I haven't read that. it. I'm aware of it. Tell me more about it. So she really talks about how war begins within our own hearts and it's our own mm. battle and our own struggle between our hearts and our minds and the stories that we make up that creates that feeling of war and discontent. And she gives a lot of great stories and examples, but um, it's a very short book and a powerful read. I think you would like it. And I think your listeners would love it too. I will definitely check that out. She uh, taught me about Tonglen meditation, yes, which is one of the meditations that we do at the Finding Peace Retreat that is really powerful mm -hmm. in helping send love and energy out into the world. So I'm going to go check out her book. Thank you yeah. for reminding me to go do that. You're welcome. When have you felt most alive? Anytime I'm in nature, especially by the ocean or by any uh, large body of water. What is it about that, that that helps create that sense of being alive for you? I feel grounded. I feel connected. I feel like life slows down and things stand still and it's just me and the feeling of the elements around me and the sounds. And I can completely immerse myself in that space and feel like I'm the only person in the world. Oh, that is such a, I love when I'm able to quiet the space around me and just be mm -hmm. and hear nature and the energy that, that is such a peaceful experience. Mm-hmm. If you were going to spend the rest of your life on an island and could only bring one item of personal meaning, what would you bring? Hmm. Probably photos of my children and family. Hmm. Yeah. I like that answer. One guy cheated and said, I'd bring my wife. <laughs> I was like, okay, that works. <laughs> well, I was assuming that other human beings couldn't be named. And then, of course, if you pick one, then the other right? like, oh, about us. <laughs> <laughs> Such a hard photos, I don't know about you, but when I look at a photo, I feel strongly connected to that moment and that memory and that energy of the person. So I think a photo book with all of my favorite people. 
I like that. That, yes, when I see pictures that love, especially with my little kiddos that are not little anymore, I remember them. It oh, brings me lots mm-hmm. of joy. Mm-hmm. Can you name a person or a teaching that has had a profoundly positive impact in your life? Sarah Powers was one of my teachers through yin yoga and her spirit and her way of inspiring through words as she taught spoke to my heart and transformed my life. And that was what really got me into the practices of yin yoga and meditation and learning to quiet and um, practice these moments of peace. Beautiful. The next question is what we've been talking about the whole podcast, but what's a daily practice that you must do every day? Every day, I must take time away from electronics in some way, whether it's taking a walk or sitting out front with my dogs in the grass, shoes off. Um, I call it the digital piece um, moments of my day putting the electronics in the parking lot and just being with whatever's in front of me. I don't think enough of us do that. Yeah. I think, I don't know a lot. I'm not a scientist. I don't know a lot about how all those electromagnetic waves and things affect us, but to be able to put those away for a moment and just be with the energy of the earth in the sky. I don't think we do that enough. So I'm glad you do that every day. Yeah. And although I'm not a scientist, um, I have studied the brain quite a bit. One of my children had several concussions. And one of the things they tell you when you're healing a concussion is to avoid anything digital because those digital waves stimulate the brain. And when the brain is stimulated, it can't heal from a concussion. Mm. So if it can't heal from a concussion, think of that onslaught of stimulation that most of us experience every single day. So when we're looking at people who have anxiety and um, depression, that constant stimulation has to be rewiring the um, brain and having an effect and an impact on your nervous system. So I I think we need to practice putting it away and turning things down, teaching our bodies how to come to these places of stillness, letting them remember that it's possible and and strengthen that power, um, sharpen the saw, and then we can be more... um, at peace, more present, more focused, more clear. Well said. (laughs) What's one question that you wish I had asked you and how would you have answered it? Hmm. Maybe I wish you had asked me a little bit more about my experience with stress and anxiety because I think when people look at me, they imagine, you know, that I just look like the world is perfect. And even though that may be one picture, you know, there are a lot of things that I do to have peace in my life, to make peace with situations. 
Um, it doesn't always come easily for me. My blog coming out um, in June is um, understanding anxiety, and I talk a lot about my first experience having an anxiety attack and not even knowing that that's what it was. And it happened to me in Paris of all places with my boyfriend and my son. It was, you know, very unexpected. So I would have liked to have shared a little bit more about that, that we all have our experiences that might seem deep and dark, but the more we can normalize conversations and um, share our experiences with others, I think the less isolated we will feel and the more in community we will be, which will inspire our self-worth and our value and our desire to practice self-care. It's all connected, isn't it? It is. Uh, well, maybe I'll have you back and you can tell me more about that. But okay. that's, I think that you're right. It is connected. Yeah. Where can people find you? You can find me on my website. It's peacefulliving.com and full has two L's. And then I'm also on Instagram, Roberta underscore peaceful living. I'm on LinkedIn, Roberta Hughes. And also on Facebook, um, I think I'm Roberta Peaceful Living. I'm not sure what I am on Facebook, <laughs> but um, you can find me. We're going to put the links to how to find you in the show notes so Thank that you. people can go look for you. Thank you. I would love to offer your listeners 30% um, off of any of the services on Peaceful Living. And it will be code PEACE all capital letters, 30. And on my website, you can do anything from try a live stream class to um, try a class in our on-demand library. You can even set up a complimentary discovery call. And that's where we would have a conversation about your self-care practices and what things might help or fit. And anything that you want to try, I'm here to help. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your generosity in doing that. Thank you. Roberta, it's been delightful being with you today. You have a lot of light that comes from you. Well, thank you. I'm grateful that I got to meet you. Yes, and your face is so calm and sweet and peaceful. It has been a joy to be in this conversation with you. I've really enjoyed it. If you found... Roberta and the things that she was talking about helpful for you, please check on her website. She has a lot of amazing content that can help you take better care of yourself. And remember that you are worth it and that you're enough. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you love the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to findingpeaceconsulting.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace five-day challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. It really does help other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. And a special thanks to Johnny Porter for producing the show and A.G. Flux for the new background music. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.